How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this edition of the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, and uh, the topic for this particular broadcast uh, has a bit of a controversial title, possibly, to you. Um, And the title of this episode, of course, is Are You Making Decisions Based on Solid Data or a Data Swamp? (laughs) And uh, it's not really meant to be provocative, but I understand that it is. And, of course, all of us know that there is a tremendous, tremendous amount of data being collected by every organization in the world, uh, sometimes for good purposes, sometimes for uh, possibly not so good purposes. And what we're seeing, unfortunately, uh, is issues that have really been the same for the last three to four decades, 30 to 40 years. Nothing has changed when it comes to this. And this is the concept of not architecting the data prior to actually using it. So I'm going to give you a honest-to-goodness real scenario here first, and then we're going to talk about some other things. So myself and my family uh, are really people that just love to be at the Walt Disney uh, theme parks and resorts. Uh, It is one of our favorite things to do as a family, and uh, we've been blessed over the years. Our family is growing, and we now have four grandchildren, and we are indoctrinating them also uh, to this particular uh, uh, attraction, uh, you know, that's out there. So let me give you a scenario that we discussed uh, with some Disney people some time ago, uh, just as an example, and this is not to point to Disney in any way, but it's a real, real live example of how things can be misled. And when I say misled, we're also going to be talking about uh, Google and Google data and the way it, it, it has unfortunately misled, and I use the word misled, not intentionally, uh, on how the flu epidem- epidemic or the flu spread occurs over the country. It's the same issue, trying to use data without understanding its initial purpose, if there was one, and how it was actually structured. So let's go back to this Disney scenario in my family. This has nothing to do with Disney. It has to do with my family. So many years ago, um, uh, I had a son and a daughter, and our family has grown. Uh, My son got married. My daughter got married. And uh, my son and and daughter-in-law blessed us with a grandchild. And, of course, as soon as that happens, uh, when they're a little bit older, uh, grandma and grandpa, my wife and I say, okay, it's time to go to Disney. But there's a little interesting thing that occurred, and that's that, of course, my son and daughter have grown up in this environment and really, really, really love it. My daughter-in-law, unfortunately, 
was not one that liked crowds very much. <laughs> so here we are in a situation where myself, my wife, and my son are anxious, ready, and excited about Disney, and we have a daughter-in-law that is possibly less excited. But she decides, because of the granddaughter, her daughter, she's going to sort of like, uh, uh, you know, bite her lips and tolerate, (laughs) using the word tolerate, the first visit to the Disney parks. So this is the scenario I want you to think about. We have myself, my wife, my son, who also obviously is addicted to Disney because of us for the last 40 years, my granddaughter that has no opinion yet, and my daughter-in-law that is going in to this situation, this vacation, this activity with a bit of trepidation and worry. All right, so that's the scenario. Now, let me ask a rhetorical question to my audience here. Who is the customer and what does that mean? This is the issue that I'm bringing to you and why I'm suggesting, unfortunately, that most of us, most organizations, don't have solid data or big data or data lakes as a phrase that's coming out there right now. It's a data swamp because what we're trying to do is to dig through that to find this out. Now, let's replay this once again. It all starts off with how things were collected. So in this scenario that I just gave you, we need to parse, we need to ahead of time, prior to starting to collect information, recognize that the word customer is so nebulous and vague that we may actually mislead ourselves and others because we don't really know what that word customer means when I gave you these five individuals. Does the customer mean the person that paid the bill? Perhaps. Well, what about the other four people? Well, and now you see the dance being done by those in the data world. Uh, Well, uh, we're going to do some data cleansing or data validity checking or blah, 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 blah. No, it's too late. You can't reverse engineer something that wasn't engineered in the first place. Now, what are our friends in Disney actually looking for from the five of us? Of course, they want to know who pays the bill, but that's really potentially secondary. What they're looking for is what I refer to in this scenario as the influencer of additional cash flow. (laughs) Forgive me for that. All right, because that's the game, of course. In other words, how does that group of five possibly provide Disney with more revenue and through what eyes? Well, if you think about those five people, once again, the influencer is my granddaughter. 
And who is she influencing? Not my son, not my wife, not myself, but her mother. And so if my granddaughter has a tremendous time in the Disney activities, perhaps, and by the way, just to give you an understanding, it was true and is still true, Um, they're coming back in April, (laughs) okay, and it's my daughter-in-law will say, well, I guess we'll go again because they had a, a good time. It doesn't matter if she's happy or less happy, so to speak, and she's becoming more comfortable, but she really does have an aversion to crowds, and, and not a physical one or a, you know, an, an emotional one there. It's just, as some of you know, there's a lot of people down there. And so Disney needs to know those relationships, ladies and gentlemen, in order to make accurate predictions and accurate activities in using that data. Now, when does that have to be recognized? At time T minus one, not time zero, but prior to any collection activities, a group of people, architects, and the subject matter experts, and the people that are going to be using this stuff, not the technologists, not the database administrators and the data structural people and the entity relationship diagram folks and the systems development folks and all these other very wonderful people that are very important. It's not that they're not important, but that's not the group that we need to figure out what the architected elements need to be first, and then we'll build some solutions. That will produce solid data that will eventually turn into solid decision-making because we're providing information rather than bits and bytes. That's what's exciting here. We see it in front of us. And the other thing we have to recognize is that once we have this somewhere in a data structure, it becomes legacy the moment that we put it in to some data structure, and that legacy is there. So what do I mean by that? If Disney identified the five of us as customers, we cannot go back and figure out what you and I just talked about. I don't care what any vendor is going to tell you, and I don't care what kind of artificial intelligence that you have or machine learning or anything else like that. It can't do it. It's all mushed together. It has to be architected prior to the collection area that's there. And this issue has been going on since the first day somebody put a piece of data somewhere. Now, in your own world, forget technology for a moment. You have this same type of situation. I know we're a paperless society, but possibly you have a series of file cabinets. (laughs) Now, when we talk about file cabinets... Uh, Yes, I'm dating myself a little bit, but we all do of some kind. And the way that you store stuff is the way that you can understand and analyze those things once you pull it out. In other words, the thing that you're storing doesn't care where you put it. 
it doesn't care where you put it. You're putting it somewhere with the understanding that's around that information. So, for example, let's say you have an automobile, and in that automobile, you have an insurance policy, and you have your file cabinets. Are you going to store the insurance policy with the automobile, or are you going to to store the insurance policy with other insurance policies in your company or in your personal life. The insurance policy doesn't care. It doesn't care. Now, some of you may say, well, I'll make a copy of it and put it in both places. Oh, my God. Now we have, quote, data redundancy, data synchronization issues, and everything else that goes on with that. No, no, that's not the answer. That's not the solution. And some technology organizations say that. We'll just replicate it for various uses. Now you've got all sorts of timing and synchronization issues that are out there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a technology issue. It is a semantic issue that needs to be addressed prior to that. So for those of you that are looking at this, what we're actually suggesting is that what we have to do is to isolate the legacy data In other words, any data that you have right now, not throw it away. I didn't say that. Isolate it. And then when we get our collective understanding and architect what we actually need, that becomes the new source of record. It becomes the baseline for addressing and managing change. And we have to recognize that the legacy data is just that. You can't mush them together. It's a very, very, very dangerous practice. So taking old customer data, as I mentioned, and trying to smash it into this new environment that I'm talking about, where we can identify the influencer, when, I, when we can identify the relationship between the five people in my family you know, that's out there, that's the new world. And for those people and those my apologies for saying this, elixir salesmen that come in and say that we can do something about the old data to make it fit the new environment, I've got a bridge to sell you somewhere. So take the scenario that I just mentioned to you, in other words, about my family or your family or anyone else, give people an example, and pose that to the people, whether it's your technology folks or someone else, pose that to them. Because that's the insight, the insight that you are looking for. That's the insight that you are looking for. Okay. And what we're asking essentially is the challenge is to solve new problems or address new opportunities and gain new answers. That's the objective that's out there without making the same statistical and structural and semantic mistakes, but on a grander scale now (laughs) than we have before. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody wants data. What people want is answers to the problems or opportunities they are seeing. And the way that we're going to try to get there is through architecting, analyzing, and designing a series of solutions. 
the first word is the one that has been missing because people believe falsely that technology will address what I just mentioned to you. And I'd love to see that. It'd be fantastic if you could take my scenario and pump it through some kind of a whatever. I don't care what it is. And magically and mystically, it would give me that understanding about the relationships that we're talking about. And so what we see here is found opportunity, found opportunity through patterns we get once we understand that the source of that information is correct and true and semantically accurate, not syntactically. By the way, that's, it's not that that's not important. But the meaning of what we're talking about is the key to moving forward, to move from a data swamp to a data analysis that provides real value to the organization. And the objective, of course, is to come up with valid business decisions based on valid data that turns into information. So we're going to take just a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the ways that we can move forward. I'm Sam Holzman. This is the 2020s Enterprise. You're listening to this episode of the 2020s Enterprise. And the title of this episode is Making Decisions Based on Solid Data and Not Data Swamps. Be back in a few minutes. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Be sure to like the Voice America Business Channel on Facebook. You'll find out about up-to-the-minute business happenings and get ideas from entrepreneurs and business professionals. Search Voice America Business or click the like button under the player and stay ahead of the curve. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. 
Welcome back to the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, and the topic of today's broadcast is are you making decisions based on solid data or a data swamp? (laughs) And uh, hopefully, at the end of this broadcast, you'll see that it's not a huge challenge to move from a data swamp to real good data, but it really takes just a little bit different thinking. So what I want to do here is to give you one example uh, that has been discussed quite a bit uh, in the world of technology. But unfortunately, it didn't get much play here in the United States. Uh, And the article, if you want to look it up, comes from Financial Times out of the UK, United Kingdom. And the title of the article was big data, are we making a big mistake? And the subheading was, big data is a vague term, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, it really is. Um, And it's a phenomena, as they say in this article, that has rapidly become an obsession, an obsession with entrepreneurs, scientists, government, the media, software companies, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the consultant community is having a great time uh, in, in this whole area, you know, that's there. But the question in the article, and by the way, the answer in the article is yes to this question, are we just making the same old errors, but on a grander scale than ever? And the answer is yes. Because what we're trying to do things is to take things that have not been structured for use and reuse and coming up with scenarios and conclusions based on questionable at best observations, whether you use the word correlations and things like that. And so the example, one of the examples in this article is about Google and this has nothing, no no issue to me about Google and the company and things like that, because anybody can misuse or use things correctly or incorrectly. But they announced a number of years ago what was considered by the industry out there to be a remarkable achievement. And they did this in one of the top scientific journals, Nature was the, was the magazine. And what they said was, without needing a single result of anybody's medical record or medical checkup, they were able to track the spread of influenza in the United States. What a remarkable achievement. And the press and everybody else was going bananas about this. Here we go. We got it. And the theory, the theory was quite simple. Now, I say this with just a repeat of what the article said. Well, it's Google, and they got all the data in the universe, and we don't have to do sampling. We don't have to do statistical analysis. We don't have to design experiments. They got everything in the world. How much better could things be? So all we got to do, and by the way, if you hear that phrase, all you got to do, make sure that you put your hand firmly over your wallet because you know it's going to cost you money. Because there isn't any miracle that's here. And out of this, there were four exciting claims that were made. And the press was going wild. 
One was that this analysis produced uncanny accurate results. It was unbelievable that every single data point has been captured. Think about that for a moment. We know right away that's not the case. In order for Google to get the data, what's the gating factor? You've got to be using Google. <laughs> now, I know that sounds funny. For, forgive me for laughing, but not everybody uses Google. Well, Sam, don't worry about it. It's just a small percentage of people that don't. Well, what percentage of people do? And what's their demographics? What is their profile? And as we all know, there's a tremendous, and we're hearing more and more about this sampling bias because we're not doing fundamental statistical analysis when we do sampling because of the belief is if we got everything, we're going to be in, in great shape that's out there. And so what the excitement was in the literature, of course, is that all the statistical analysis mumbo jumbo and the design of experiments that some of us learned in college, just throw that stuff. We don't have to do that anymore. Just go out there and mush things together. So forget about all this theoretical mumbo jumbo. We just got enough data out there. The numbers speak for themselves. Isn't that sound wonderful? Again, the problem is, it's just data. And now people are trying to use those bits and bytes, those zeros and ones, to make decisions. And people are mixing up raw data with information, you know, that's out there. Now, one of the things about British, pop, pop, uh, British publications and some of the people there, their language is very colorful to me. I love it. And so one of the professors um, at Cambridge University had this quote in the article. And what David Spiegelhalter, who was the professor that said this, said was as following, and I'm quoting, this is complete bullocks, absolute nonsense. <laughs> okay. uh, that's a summary of what is going on. Now, what's fascinating is that four years after this miracle occurred, they had to come up with another article in Nature magazine. <laughs> and guess what? The, that flu outbreak claimed an unexpected victim. And that was, of course, the Google flu trends. Now, after allegedly applying and getting swift and accurate outbreaks of the flu for several winters, okay, it's lost its nose, as it says in the article, to where flu was going. And this could be for a number of reasons. In other words, the sampling could have been accurate, not because of the sampling, because of, unfortunately, coincidence, you know, that was out there. And the scenario four years later was devastating to the pharmaceutical community and us, you and I, at large, because there was a factor of two inaccuracy that was being seen. Massive, massive, massive failure. Now, how do we address this? How do we address this? Well, let me start out by saying 
it's not about the technology or the enablement of this. It's understanding what you as a business or you as a person need to make decisions. And that is called architecture, not analysis or design or implementation yet. It's understanding what that is. So in the case that I gave you prior to our break, we have to understand that I need to know about the person that paid the bill, the influencer of future visits to the park, if I look at the Disney example I was giving you, the relationship between that influencer, if there is one, between the influencer and the person paying the bill. And let's go even further, as you remember from the scenario in our first segment, the intermediary that also has a voice, a significant voice in those decisions. And of course, in this case, it was the mom. Now, what I just explained to you is not really complicated. But I have to, again, emphasize that that understanding has to occur prior to the data being collected. Prior to the data being collected. And those things are what the key is. Now, where do we get that? Where do we get that information, you know, that's out there? So this is about making valid business decisions, whether it's marketing campaigns, whether it's new product development, whether it's compliance with regulations. We've got to understand that data without semantic understanding, understanding what it means can have unintended consequences, you know, that are out there. And of course, we're in a, another cycle. Notice I didn't use the word hype. <laughs> I want to, maybe I should. We're in the digital transformation. So more and more decisions are being made within this, in, uh, you know, in this, in, in this area right now. Now, Experian did a study that they published uh, a few months back, and they surveyed 1,000 people, professionals um, in organizations, and they found that 90% of the respondents consider some of their customer data to be inaccurate. Let me repeat that number. Excuse me for chuckling. 90% of the people said the customer data was suspect. Why was I chuckling? Because I can assure you that that doesn't mean they're not using it. (laughs) Think about that. What's the old phrase? If you keep beating your head against the wall, what's going to happen? Well, it's fascinating, but there is something we can do about it. But the desire is to magically and mystically take a pill and make this happen. Now, what we have to recognize is that we have a legacy situation, and if we don't stop doing what we're doing, that will continue. So let's architect, starting Monday morning, so to speak, come up with the understanding that you and I talked about, and then move forward, okay? And 
it's not a one-off situation. We're going to need data quality measures, people to do this, monitoring the information or data that's, you know, that's coming in, all these things out there to make sure that when we go on this new path, that we don't lose it, you know, um, somewhere along the way. Now, the other thing I want to chat to you about is the cost of doing what I just talked about, architecture, is a pittance compared to what one organization, Gartner Group, has calculated and what an average organization loses on a yearly basis because of this inaccuracy. And the Gartner number is 10 to $15 million a year. Now, I don't know if that number is accurate because I'm going to give you another number now from IBM and what they published was they estimate $1.3 trillion is the cost of poor data quality in the U.S. Wow. There's a tremendous opportunity. And all we need to do, I hate to use the phrase all we need to do because it's something that we chatted about a little bit earlier, but all we need to do is to think about we architect before we implement. We architect before we implement. We architect before we implement. And if we implement something and we see that the results that we're seeing possibly need to be looked at, we need to look back at the architecture, which is the baseline for addressing and managing change. And if those numbers weren't enough, Forrester, another firm that does analysis, suggests that the people in the data community, the technologists that you deploy and employ, are spending about 40% of the time in data validation, not doing actual analysis, but because they recognize the data has a quality issue, you know, you know, that's out there. And so what we're looking for is complete and consistent and timely data to make decisions. And the emphasis that I'm putting on here is that we have to stop what we're doing in the past, which is relying on technological miracles and magic and thinking about it's a structural issue. No, it's a semantic, it's a meaning issue. And that starts with architecture. And it's not that hard to do. It is not that hard to say, here is the things that I need to collect and give each one of these definitions. What is a prospect? What is a customer? What is an influencer? What relationships do we need to understand? And people don't see this as a, an, a, you know, a quality issue at first because numbers come out the door. By the way, the data doesn't care. The data doesn't care. It's the decision-making, you know, that's out there. And so more data isn't the answer. It really has to do with architecture. And the business itself may not actually recognize, recognize that it is a semantic issue versus a syntactic issue. And the process of doing this is something that we're going to be covering in our next segment. But really, 
It's a standardized data understanding process that is relatively easy to implement. In our next segment, we're going to be chatting about that. So we need to move from garbage in, garbage out, to quality in, and extraordinary results out. You've been listening to me, Sam Holzman, 2020's Enterprise. We're talking about data. We'll see you back here in our last segment in just a few minutes. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to focus on the big picture, but a growing business requires compliance, regulations, tax issues, and more. Listen to Candy Messer and BizHelp for you. Our program takes the guesswork out of the equation in order to give you the answers and peace of mind from payroll to labor laws to entrepreneurial tips. You'll find something new with each week's episode. BizHelp for You can be heard every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise. Data. Is this the 2020s Enterprise question? And we've been talking in the last couple of segments about data and data quality. The concept, uh, I don't know, I don't believe I coined it, but uh, uh, are we working with a data swamp or are we working with good data? And we're going to try to get out of this uh, over the next few minutes and give you some guidelines here on how to actually get quality data to come up with real solid business understanding and opportunities that are out there. And there's four factors that we found are key to making sure that the decisions that you're making are based on solid data that will eventually turn into information. The first is the concept of precision. And I know this sounds funny. Is the data correct? Is the data correct? Second, is it complete? 
Is it comprehensive and consistent in the domains that you're looking at? Third element, is it timely? This is one of the things that I think we forget about. And in the good old days, we used to call it time stamping. So anytime we collected something, we attached to it a time that was out there. And if I used, when I use the word time, by the way, I'm talking about possibly date and time. Because as things age, we may look at things a little bit differently. The concept of traceability and transparency is what's associated with timeliness. And the final thing is availability. So what is the access to that particular understanding? And what we have to also recognize is that with those four measures, we can then start looking at the architecting of that to make sure that those four measures are there. And once we have that, by the way, unfortunately, it's not a one-off. You need to go back and do an audit to see if everything is solid as we're moving forward. So it's either a quality review, lots of different phrases that we can use to be able to do that. Now, how do you go about doing this? Well, the title that I put on here, and I don't know if this is a good title or not, is it's business-focused data analysis. Business-focused data analysis. Okay? It is not technology-focused data analysis, which is what most organizations do. It's not wrong, but it's way too late. Telling me that a field has 17 characters is a wonderful thing. But if I'm putting garbage in those 17 characters, I don't care how many characters that I have. And so this comes from the business understanding that's out there. And we, as facilitators of that, are the custodians of that understanding. We don't own it, but we provide the mechanism for our business partners to understand the stuff that's there. And then the technologists, the general contractors, if I can use that phrase, not the architects, but the general contractors, would then deploy it. And so what we're looking for is just a few things. The uniqueness of that information and the most solid information, the most solid data that your organization can put together in, in an architected manner uses the phrase that Mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive. Mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive. One fact in one place. That's the way it should be. One fact in one place. Correctly named, uniquely identified, and and properly defined. Properly defined. The name of something alone is like a table of contents in a book. And of course, you know, in a book, 
A table of contents is just that, a table of contents. What do we need after that? Content. Whoa. (laughs) And that content is the definition. That's what gives us the understanding of what the table of contents references. Think about that in your own environment. With just the table of contents, with just a name, you get the bobblehead nod. (laughs) Okay, well, everybody knows what that means. That's not an issue at all. So please remember, the properly defined is really the key. And I want to emphasize, it is your DNA, your DNA. You can't go to some generic model or generic dictionary out there or generic source and bring it in. You may go ahead, have a great time. But coming back to the example for just a moment, the Disney people call their employees cast members. Find that in the dictionary somewhere. That's the phrase they use. By the way, I love that phrase. The people in the, that work for Disney are putting on a facade, if I can use that phrase. By the way, I'm saying it positively, not negatively. They're, in a, they're an entertainer of you. And that's why they call them, you know, cast members. And Disney calls you and I guests. What a nice name. Guests. By the way, what do some of the technology people call business people? Users. What an insult. <laughs> They're not users. They're customers. Fascinating. And of course, correctly named, uniquely identified, properly defined, without redundancy, without ambiguity, mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive. And the final point is that it is process independent, process independent. That's a key. Now, as a slight scenario that may help you or an example, think about a salad bar for a moment with 16 elements in it. The salad components don't care what type of salad you make. Or, and they don't care, the process that you use to make your salad. They're just sitting there waiting to be consumed. (laughs) And that's the way we have to look at the data. It shouldn't care. But if we go into a container in a salad bar, and the name of that container is romaine lettuce, It sure better be romaine lettuce every time we go in there. What's the analogy? When we go into a data area and we define something, the next time we go in there, it sure better be the same thing. And that's the integrity issue that we're talking about. So all of this is actually looking at a business view of the data that's there. So once again, identification, Naming, definition of the name, and then once we have that, we can start looking also at the next level of complexity, and I'm purposely using that phrase, the relationships that we need within that. So coming back to the salad bar, is there a relationship, I know this sounds silly, between the romaine lettuce and the tomatoes? (laughs) I don't know. But that's what we're looking at, the relationships. Or better way to look at it is let's look at you and I in an organization for a moment. 
Okay, you and I are possibly employees. What's the relationship an employee in a desk, an employee in a chair, an employee in a skill, an employee in a parking place, an employee in vacation time, an employee in a salary? Those are the relationships. Once we have all the elements well-defined, we can then look at the relationships between those. In that order, ladies and gentlemen, you can't do it the other way. If you've got the composite, so to speak, you can't figure out what the elements are. So this is a business view and not an implementation view. So we're separating these two out. Architecture is different than implementation. Engineering is different than manufacturing. Any of those phrases that are out there may help you when you go into this particular area. The other thing we have to recognize is that this will end when the enterprise ceases to exist. This is not a one-off situation here. And it may never be, quote, completed because the business is constantly looking for new insights, which may require new understandings and data, which will need to be managed and defined and structured just like we have before. So it's a continuous activity that's going on. So the objective is not to produce a finished model, whatever that means, or a finished representation, but a baseline for addressing and managing continuous change, you know, that is there. Now, once we have this in place and we see things, there's two sets of responsibilities. If somebody says, I need something new, whatever that is, it's first up to the business experts, the subject matter experts, to look at that need and determine if it is different than something that we already collect. And if so, how do we reconcile what we said before? So coming back to you're sitting there in your organization right now, and let's say for an example, you know, that we chatted about in our first segment, that the only thing you have is customer data. You don't have anything that differentiates things from that point on. And somebody comes to you in your business or in your organization or in your own world and says, I need more customer data. So now you have this word once again pop up and you have to figure out what that means in the context of what's out there in your organization now. Do you have influencer data? And is that what that individual means by customer? Notice what happens here. There's a reconciliation process, a feedback loop. And if any of you are from the engineering community, you know that one of the principles of solid engineering is a closed loop system produces quality, an open loop system produces defects. So anytime we change something, we need to go back to what we saw before to make sure, close the loop, we're closing the loop to make sure that what we actually have is not disturbing the old act or destroying that or disturbing it or causing false understandings, but adding to the understandings that we already, you know, we already have, you know, as we're, we're moving forward. So this is almost fun. When I say almost fun, we're not suggesting at all that there's a lot of burdening here, but it's a, how should I put it? It's a managed process. 
So let's come full circle. We have a situation in your organization probably where there is a tremendous amount of data out there now. And we have to sort of gulp hard. And I'm assuming the scenario in your organization is the things that I've talked about in this broadcast haven't been done. Now, if you and your organization are lucky enough to have done this, accolades, applause to you. So I'm obviously not speaking to you in that audience because, of course, I don't know every person that listens to this broadcast and what their backgrounds are. But as we go forward, I believe that these lessons can be applied no matter where you are in your growth curve that's out there. So what we're chatting about here and what we've talked about in this past hour is the recognition that you can't reverse engineer something if it was not engineered in the first place. And that simple statement, unfortunately, is sometimes missed because of the belief there's a piece of technology out there that can magically and mystically figure out what was going on. And during this broadcast, I tried to bring you just a few examples of how that is probably incorrect more than sometimes we believe. So how do we address this? Step one, we isolate what we've done yesterday, so to speak, as we move forward. Step two, we do data architecture with our business experts with our stakeholders to understand what they need. And we're talking about not only naming things, but as I mentioned before, defining them and making sure they will have a complete and consistent, the phrase mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, if we can do it, representation of all the things that they need at that point in time to move forward. Once we have that, we then look at the relationships that are of interest to us as a business. And I gave you an example of an employee and the relationship between the employee and a, and a salary, an employee and a skill, and those types of things that are out there. So now we're looking at the binding of things together in our particular environment. And then we go off and do a deployment of that information and recognize that it is a not a one-off process. It's a continuous process as we move forward. Continuous process as we move forward. As new requirements are there, we're going to be looking at the things that we built to make sure that we're not destroying that wonderful actions and things that we've done in the past. I'm Sam Holzman. You've been listening to the 2020s Enterprise. If you want to reach out to me and learn some more about this or possibly have us discuss the needs that you have, it'd be my pleasure to do that. You can reach me at sam at eacoe.org, sam at eacoe.org. Thank you for listening. Until next time, 